North Korea is the impossible state. It's a place that stumped leaders and policymakers for more than three decades. It has a complex history, and it has become the United States' top national security priority. Each week on this show, we'll talk with the people who know the most about North Korea. This special release episode comes from CSIS's Beyond Parallel Living History video series. Policymakers, experts, and opinion leaders reflect on historical moments on the Korean Peninsula, including the politics and economics of inter-Korean relations, as well as Korea's relationship with surrounding Asian powers. Among many other senior assignments, Ambassador Alexander Vershbow served as the U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Korea from 2005 to 2008. This was during a delicate phase of negotiations in the six-party talks about denuclearizing North Korea. My first weeks as ambassador in, in South Korea were much more exciting than I expected because of the controversy that erupted from some of the public comments that I made about North Korea. It was partly about human rights, but it was the, the biggest subject that I was focusing on were what we called illicit activities by the North Korean regime, money laundering through Banco Delta Asia, as well as the uh, illegal production of counterfeit $100 bills, uh, il- counterfeit cigarettes, narcotics. They were up to no good when it came to their uh, exports. These were very serious concerns. Through the money laundering and through the illegal exports, the North Korean regime was able to finance its uh, nuclear weapons programs and its missile programs. And so I had to make clear that this was an obstacle to any real solution to the North Korean nuclear problem and uh, to any normalization of relations with the North. But calling them a criminal regime was seen as being uh, too harsh to the dialogue partner in the six-party talks. And indeed, the fact that this happened very soon after the breakthrough agreement in uh, September 2005 created a bit of a rift between Washington and Seoul. I remember my first bush Nomohyun meeting in Kyungju was perhaps the, the worst bilateral meeting between two presidents that I'd ever seen in my career because Nomohyun couldn't understand why the United States would attack North Korea over its financial activities when it had been so forthcoming on the nuclear issue. But in the end, things stabilized and our policies stayed closely aligned after that. Although the U.S. and ROK often saw eye to eye with each other during this period, this was not always the case. Ambassador Vershbow endured complex phases of the ROK-U.S. relationship as it evolved into the version we are familiar with today. The results this renewed partnership achieved were partially due to his efforts. There were a lot of strains in the relationship from the beginning of the, uh, of the Bush administrations, but I think that I was encouraged by the fact that even under a progressive government, which was not a natural partner for a Republican government in Washington, there was a kind of determination to try to iron out some of the differences between Washington and Seoul, not only on the North Korean nuclear issue, where we had a very complex negotiating challenge, but also in terms of deepening the uh, ROK-US alliance, uh, building on the military foundations to begin the process of uh, turning that alliance into a political uh, initiative that aimed to address issues beyond the defense of South Korea against North Korean aggression. Aside from his significant role in negotiations to denuclearize North Korea, Ambassador Vershbow also helped create a foundation for the U.S.-Korea Free Trade Agreement. I think that the uh, sort of the best moments during my three years as ambassador was the uh, conclusion of the Korea-U.S. Free Trade Agreement. Uh, I'd never worked on trade agreements, but it was also 
exciting to be the go-between with the prime minister and with the trade minister in trying to hammer out the final uh, compromises when we were working against a very strict deadline because the uh, authority to negotiate the agreement was going to expire and we actually f finished the agreement with about seven hours to spare against that deadline. The agreement to negotiate a comprehensive FTA was the easy part. Working out the details was more difficult and there were a lot of thorny issues, particularly re related to opening up the agricultural sector, investor state dispute mechanisms, uh, protection of intellectual property rights, and uh, of course, setting tariffs that uh, balance the interests of both sides. My only regret about the Chorus FTA is that it did not survive intact when President Obama came into office. Although I tried to persuade some colleagues that I knew who were going to work in the Obama administration that they should ratify the agreement and pursue any additional provisions separately. Obama chose to renegotiate, and that cost, uh, I think, three or four years, during which time the European Union basically cashed in on all the hard compromises and concessions that the United States had fought for and signed a FTA with Korea well ahead of the United States, gaining the first mover advantage. I think the, at least the, the temporary progress we made on the North Korean nuclear issue and the FTA, I think, all contribute to a much stronger alliance, which uh, I think is uh, still a strong foundation on which we're working today. Among his many achievements, moving the U.S.'s military base in South Korea remains of particular importance to the South Korean people. I also think the, the work that uh, I did on the Defense Alliance uh, was of lasting importance, and it was very exciting to break ground on the new base, which is now just opening in Pyeongtaek, uh, which is enabling the U.S. to finally get out of downtown Seoul and allow this beautiful patch of territory to be returned to the Korean people and uh, at the same time modernizing the alliance to incorporate uh, new technologies, new strategies uh, to keep pace with uh, changing developments in the Asia-Pacific region. But his relationship with the South Korean people had its low points as well. I'm thinking about the worst moments. I would have to say it was the, uh, the beef riots that occurred in my final months uh, as ambassador. Because even though Korea agreed in the FTA negotiations that it was going to have to open up its uh, beef market, this proved to be more uh, difficult than uh, anyone expected. And when the new president, Yi Mung-bak, decided to go ahead with a limited opening of the market, it led to mass protests, almost the paralysis of central Seoul for, for several weeks. A lot of it was fueled by disinformation. Some of the things that we've seen more frequently in recent years with the interference by Russia in our elections and other forms of disinformation. But this was an early example of how social media and the internet propagated a lot of uh, false information that caused a certain paranoia among the Korean population and led to these mass protests and even my image being burnt in effigy outside the U.S. Embassy. Ambassador Vershbaugh took this in stride and found unconventional ways to rebuild his image and bond with the people of South Korea over a shared passion. I've always uh, enjoyed being a rock and roll drummer, even though I was never very talented, but it became a kind of diplomatic secret weapon. The first time when I was serving at NATO as ambassador, uh, in the late 90s, when uh, I accompanied some visiting American uh, vaudeville groups uh, who performed at my, my residence, and I sat in on a couple of numbers on the drums. And this uh, evolved into a kind of jam sessions in the, uh, in the garage with other uh, ambassadors who were uh, wannabe rock and roll stars. But it got more serious when I was ambassador to Russia, and uh, I think I reached my 
absolute peak as a rock star uh, in Korea when uh, I would frequently get the opportunity to play at clubs. In Korea, I played at the, uh, the jazz club Once in a Blue Moon with a really great Korean blues band headed by Han Sang-won. Well, if my rock drumming was my secret weapon, my less secret weapon was my wife, who is indeed an artist, and she found a very hospitable environment in Korea. It was kind of an interesting coincidence. Even before we knew we were going to Korea, she was uh, able to, through a competition, get some of her pieces in a traveling exhibition that was going to be on display in Insadong. And so it just happened to open a few days after we arrived in Seoul. And so she immediately made a lot of uh, new contacts among uh, the Korean artistic community. And this led to her ability to teach some workshops, to organize exhibitions uh, in Insadong and in other places, and to just generally kind of find ways to uh, build bridges with the artistic community. She even incorporated some uh, Korean elements into her designs. Although she works in uh, non-precious materials, she used green anodized aluminum to create images of bamboo leaves that uh, formed a whole series of her work. And she even did some, some brooches that used hangul letters as, uh, as part of the design. So uh, she had a great time. It was not only fun to do this and uh, you know, highlight some of the cultural connections between our countries, it was, a, again, a, a form of soft power that uh, counteracted the image of the American ambassador who was always seen as a somewhat uh, domineering, imposing figure uh, in Korea. And uh, I think it broke a lot of ice when I visited universities, playing with uh, local bands, uh, kind of eased the way to a more serious discussion of some of the issues in the uh, ROK-US relationship. I do think Americans don't fully appreciate the, the depth of our partnership and uh, how much we're actually very alike in terms of our national characteristics. But I try to uh, remind people that we have an important democratic ally in Northeast Asia that fought with us in the Korean War and is still one of our most valuable partners. In the early stages of his career, Ambassador Virchbau also took part in efforts to transform NATO through his work as the U.S. ambassador to the organization. There are a lot of similarities uh, between the uh, NATO alliance and the ROK U.S. alliance. Uh, both are founded on uh, shared values of defending democracy, freedom, and the rule of law in the sense that they're based on very serious uh, military capabilities, interoperability among the members of the alliance, and a, a strong defense posture uh, based on being ready to fight tonight if they're ever a threat. So I was very pleased to be able to work on these issues, and this, this is where my experience at NATO may have been an asset working to address some of the direct issues affecting the alliance. I think that uh, both the ROC US alliance and uh, NATO are facing some serious challenges these days. And the challenges come not from the changing threats in the world, but uh, rather from the changing attitude towards alliances on the part of the President of the United States. To my chagrin, we've seen a president who doesn't quite understand 
how much the United States benefits from having strong democratic allies, whether it's in Europe or in Northeast Asia, and takes a, an overly transactional approach, defining the alliance largely as a protective service provided by the United States for which we should be paid handsomely in return. So I do worry about uh, this whole issue of burden sharing, which is a serious issue, and uh, South Korea and our European allies need to take this issue seriously. But to define the whole alliance in terms of uh, dollars rather than in terms of shared values and shared interests, I think is a big mistake. So I think both alliances should have a bright future because they're both very effective and they're built on a uh, foundation of uh, you know, real capability and a real commitment to our mutual security. But I just hope that the United States continues to understand it has a kind of a intangible benefit from alliances around the world that shouldn't be just reduced to a question of dollars and cents. If you have a question for one of our experts about the impossible state, email us at impossiblestate at csis.org. If you want to dive deeper into the issues surrounding North Korea, check out Beyond Parallel. That's our micro website that's dedicated to bringing a better understanding of the Korean peninsula. You can find it at beyondparallel.csis.org. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's so more listeners can find us. It's very helpful. We're now also streaming on Spotify, so you can find us there too, where you find all your music. How cool is that? And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Impossible State.